my name's um, Cole. I'm the youth and young adult pastor here. If we haven't met yet, if we haven't gotten the privilege to meet you, hope we get the chance to soon. Um, but yeah, we're going to be continuing on in our series through parables. We've been doing this series all summer, um, and it's been pretty awesome. I've been, I've been really enjoying it. So far, we've looked at parables like the parable of the soils, parable of the lost sheep, parable of the ten virgins, and last week we were looking at the parable of the talents, and we covered many more as well. Um, it's been pretty cool, so, um, and here I am. So I'm gonna, I think I'm wrapping it up. This is our last Sunday doing this series, so um, I chose a parable to teach on, um, and I had to pick, they took all the good ones, so, no, just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, it's, I still picked the good one. I chose, uh, I'll be speaking on the parable of the two builders today. So yeah, buckle up, it's good. It's a good one. Um, but yeah, it's a well-known parable with great significance to um, Christians and the faithful Christian in particular. Um, Jesus is, is teaching this parable to um, convey what wisdom is to his followers and how to gain that, what wisdom looks like. And this, last year we actually did teach on yeah, sorry, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. That's where we'll be. And I think if anybody needs a Bible, if anybody wants to borrow a Bible, you can put your hand up because we have some extra Bibles that we can pass on to you. Got one right here, Matt. Uh, one, a couple there, yeah. So they'll come around and give you a Bible. Keep those hands up high so they'll come to you. Um, yeah, nice, nice, nice. CJ over there. and Just right up here, Matt. Wait, a couple up here, yeah. Okay, um, but yeah, last year we did touch on this, this parable um, in last summer's series. Bonus points, anybody remember last summer's series that we did here at Riverside? We went through it in the summer, shouted out anyone? Anyone got a good memory? What? No? Oh, it wasn't here. Whoever was here. Okay. We did a... <laughs> if you weren't here, then... That's okay. Yeah, don't lose points. It's okay. The points were hypothetical anyway. Um, but anyway, uh, we did a series last summer through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, um, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever preach, Jesus, um, where he imparts onto his followers in the beginning of Matthew's gospel a bunch of lessons and a bunch of teachings um, on what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, a true, true follower. Uh, there's a ton of great stuff in the sermon. We went through it last summer. We called it Summer on the Mount because it's cute like that, I guess. And yeah, um, and even in chapter 7, where this parable sits, it, it, this parable sits as like the conclusion of this entire sermon that Jesus preaches. And chapter 7 alone has a bunch of heavy hitter uh, verses and passages in there. There's the, there's the judging passage where, you know, um, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? And Jesus calls them out as a hypocrite if they do that. And then the, the ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you in verse 7. The, the golden rule, verse 12, therefore whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. You know, chapter 7 has a lot of these rich verses in it. Um, and then we stick the, the parable of the two builders, which is kind of like a going off of what Jesus has already said and taught in this sermon and in chapter 7. In fact, this parable is one of the last things Jesus says, and it's also the third warning Jesus gives 
to his followers in Matthew 7. See, there's three warnings that Jesus wants to convey and wants to give to his followers, and, and we'll go through them. The first one is found in verse 15, chapter 7, verse 15, where it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So that's the first warning. Beware of false prophets. The second warning is found in verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. So the first warning, beware of false prophets. Second is beware of false professions. And the third warning found in this parable, the parable of the two builders, is beware of false professions. And that's what we're looking at um, today. We see that Jesus is continuing to impart wisdom to his followers as he wraps up this sermon with this parable. Notice how this parable starts. It says, therefore, therefore. That, that therefore is there because it's a continuation off of what was said before. So these two points, these two warnings, Jesus is going on to this parable to continue on in the theme. So let's read it, and then we'll pray and we'll look into it. So... In verse 24, it says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for um, this passage and this parable that we're going to be looking at, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would just bless it and, and bless each and every one of us here, um, just listening to it. And, and Lord, we want to learn. That's why we're here. We, we're here to learn from you. We're here to hear from you, and we're here to... Um, to figure out what you want us to do with our lives, how you want us to apply this word to our lives. And God, I pray that you would just reveal the truths here, that you would speak through me, that these words would not be my own today, um, but God, that it would just be a rich study and um, a great time where we can just understand what your word means for us, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. So in Israel... The geography is mostly made up of hills and mountains. It's very hilly in a lot of the areas of Israel, in the land of Israel. And what these hills create is valleys in between. Uh, so when it rains, and it rains a lot during the wet season, between um, October, between the months of October and April, you got this big wet season around winter. And that's when it rains. That's when it floods. That's when a lot of floods create. And because these mountains and hills create these valleys, you have these streams flowing through them, right? The Jordan River is a good example of the largest body of water, the largest river um, in Israel, in that area that goes from north to south. During this wet season, Israel would experience its fair share of storms, and rivers like the Jordan River would often swell up way beyond its normal width, um, and it would encompass a, lot, a larger area, and sometimes it would swell up to dangerous levels, even becoming rapid in areas. And it was not um, unlikely that some houses that were maybe built a bit too close to these rivers and streams would be demolished by these floodwaters. So Jesus uses this parable to warn us Christians about the trials that we will face, that we will experience just for following Christ. But Jesus also offers a solution on how to navigate them, how to withstand the storms. 
this parable isn't contrasting the Christian with the non-Christian. Instead, it's contrasting the Christian who hears and does with the Christian who hears and does nothing. That's what we're making, making the difference to. They're both hearing the word. They're both hearing um, the teachings of, of, of God. They're both hearing the same message, but the difference comes in what they do um, after they hear the message. So what do these builders have in common? Well, we know that they both desired to build. They both desired to build a house. They, 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 they took the words and then they built upon them. Um, they built in the same area as well. They, they built their houses nearby each other. They were part of the same locality, the same community. You could even say, to put it in modern terms, they were part of the same church. Why? How do we know? Well, once again, they were hearing the same message. They heard the teachings of Jesus. Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man. And then in verse 26, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Um, they both heard, They both heard the same message. They heard the same words. And they were also both subject to the same storm with different outcomes but they both had the same storm they both went through the same um, storm see these builders have a lot in common and you may not be able to find the differences right away we know that one of them was wise because he built his house on the rock on the firm foundation of the rock and the other was a fool who built his house on unsteady ground the sand how would we know which one is wise and which one is a fool before the storm we might not. We might not be able to tell. Would it, would it be easy to tell? Would it be easy to notice? Saying if we did not know the condition of the ground that they built upon. I don't think so. It's quite possible that looking outwardly, both houses looked exactly the same. But the difference came in the inward decision that the two builders chose to make. And that inward decision was later revealed by the results of the storm. See, the storm did not make the difference between the two builders, but it did reveal the difference that they had. This, this parable that Jesus is, is, is telling his followers, it's all about wisdom. That's what it really comes down to. That's the message that he wants to convey. Is like, hey, here's a way for you to be wise. This is, if you want to be wise, do, what's, do the message that's conveyed in this parable. And the, the qualities, there's two qualities revealed about Two qualities of wisdom are revealed in verse 24. Um, this is what a wise man does. Look at verse 24 again. It says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. So it says right there, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Hears and does. Those two qualities right there. So we know that two qualities of wisdom, a wise man listens and a wise man takes action. If you want to be wise, this is two very easy steps. You listen um, to what you're being told by the authority, which is God's word, by the words of God. You listen to what it says, and then you take action. You do what it tells you to do. That's wisdom. And that is the definition of wisdom. I, I, I like to define wisdom um, as this. Wisdom is knowledge applied. That's what really differentiated these two builders. They both heard the same message, but the wise builder was wise enough to take what he heard and apply it to his life and do something with it. 
The fool didn't do anything with it. He had the same knowledge as the wise builder, but he didn't do anything. He didn't apply it to his life. And the end result was him being um, labeled as a fool. So let's get more into what this, what this parable means. So the first builder took what he heard and took action. He applied it to his life, and he was prepared for the approaching storm. And the second builder heard the same things as the first builder, but he did not do anything with it. He didn't take action. He didn't apply it to his life. And he was unprepared for the storm as labeled a fool. It is so important to be Christians who grow in the knowledge, who grow in knowledge and wisdom. That's what we want to do. I, I heard of a story of um, a guy who noticed this huge crack on his bedroom wall. And he's like, what is this crack doing here? What's it from? I got to get somebody in to check this out and fix it for me. So he calls up a guy um, a guy that was in the painting trade and um, gets him to come over. He's like, oh, yeah, I should be able to fix this up, no problem. And uh, fills the crack, paints over it, seals it, um, levels it, does all the work to make it look like it's not even there. And then the, and then the guy's like, oh, that's a great, that's a great fix. Look, yeah, I don't even see the crack. I don't notice it anymore. Awesome. Thank you very much. Pays the guy, and the guy leaves. About a month later, that crack shows up again. It comes out, and this, the guy now is frustrated. The man is, he's, he's, I just got this fixed. Why is it back? Why is this crack back? So he, um, he calls the guy up again and says, hey, that, that crack that you fixed, is, is, it's returned, and I don't know what to do. And he goes, okay, I'll be over, I'll be over. Maybe I skipped a step. I'll try something new, and then um, try something new, does the same thing, a um, little bit better maybe this time. Um, patches it up, makes it look like the crack's not there, fixes the wall, uh, everything's good. He gets paid, he leaves. Um, no more than a month later, the crack shows up once again a third time, but this time with friends. Brought his family along. Uh, it's not just the one crack, but many cracks across the wall. So the guy is fed up. He's, um, he's about as ticked off as you could be. Um, doesn't call the same guy. He calls a different guy to get a second opinion of what's going on with his bedroom wall. The guy comes over and he's just looking at it. He's, he's staring at the cracks. He's just trying to examine it and assess it. And then finally turns to the man and says, I can't help you. And the guy's like, wait, what do you mean? Isn't this, isn't this your job? Don't you do this kind of thing? He's like, yeah, but I, I can't help you. He's like, well, what's going on? He's like, your problem isn't the crack. And then he looks at the bedroom wall and all the cracks. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, that, that's the problem right there. I see the cracks. He's like, no, your problem isn't the cracks. Your problem is your house is built on a shifting foundation. See, the cracks are only symptoms of the real problem. But until you get that shifting foundation fixed, nothing's going to work, right? Unless you deal with the root of the problem, all you'll be doing is patchwork. And that's what this guy learned. And it's very similar to us as Christians, right? It's so important to be Christians who grow in knowledge and wisdom continually as we, as we live our day-to-day -day lives, as we walk in our relationships with Christ, our foundation is something that we absolutely should want to get right. Because if it's slightly wrong, it could cause further problems. And we might be fixing those smaller problems, but unless we're getting to the root of the problem, those problems that we're experiencing might keep happening. And that's important. That's a, that's a good quality of wisdom, is trying to figure out how to get to the root of the problem and fix it and solve it so that We'll be complete. We'll be, we'll, be, we'll be fixed. We'll be better. 
when we come to church, I, I hope that the truths that we unpack from the word isn't going in one ear and out the other, like it must have done for the foolish builder, but that we're taking it in, right? Just hearing God's word isn't enough to provide a secure foundation. I hope that these things, that we take these things in and we contemplate them, that we ask the Lord for wisdom and guidance on how to apply it to our lives. We don't want to be the, the foolish builder who listened to the message, walked away, and didn't do anything about it, didn't apply it to his life. There's another passage in the Bible you might be familiar with it in James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. I got it up on the screen. I'll, I'll read it. But it, it does a great job at just highlighting this point. It says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. See, it is foolish to live like a Christian but not be changed by Christ. We also, sorry, Christianity is all about learning and growing. And yes, as Christians, we do make mistakes. We do mess up from time to time. But like, no, nobody's expecting you that when you become a Christian that you got to be perfect, no exceptions, right? Like ex mistakes are expected. You know, mistakes are welcome. But those mistakes should make us better in the end. Those mistakes are opportunities for us to learn. What did we do wrong? What can, how can I do better? Conviction is also an important um, ministry of the Holy Spirit for the believer, right? Conviction, I think, is a great sign that you as a Christian are, are on the right track, right? Con conviction isn't something that we should be ashamed about. Uh, what is conviction? Conviction is the Holy Spirit uh, basically exposing your flaws or pointing out your flaws to you. Um, it's that feeling that you get that's like, oh, this is a personal um, thing that I think I could be doing better, that's the Holy Spirit digging in and, and revealing to you something that you could work on. It might be uh, a, a moment or, or a thing that you did that, that you're getting convicted over. It might be like an ongoing practice that just really shouldn't be a part of your life as a believer. Maybe it's not godly. It's not glorifying to God. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to come in and convict you over that thing to reveal that, hey, this thing ain't good. Maybe you should think about it and fix that. And conviction is a great thing. Now, if you're getting convicted over and over again about the same thing, I think that's a different problem, and that's not my point. But if you're getting convicted and you're listening to the Holy Spirit and feeling convicted about different things in your life and you're continuing to work on those things and you're taking them to heart and turning them around so that you could be better, I think that's good. I think that's healthy. I think that's a good sign of a mature believer. So what do you do when, when you're convicted? When, when you feel convicted about something, I think a danger that some people do is they get up, they walk away, and then they forget about that conviction. And they don't take it to heart. They don't continue to process it or, or meditate upon it. And then when they're doing that, they're being like um, the man who observes himself in the mirror, goes away and, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. Now, when you think about that, 
you look at yourself in the mirror, and then you walk away, and you just forget what you look like. It sounds kind of dumb, right? Just kind of put it bluntly. Um, but same thing with conviction. If you really are feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit, but you're not doing anything about it, you're missing out. That's not good. Um, when, when I, this isn't the, I, can't, I still can't think of a better example, but I'll use it again. Um, when I am, when my little neck beard is growing out because I can't grow a full beard, um, I, I, sometimes I struggle to notice until I look at myself in the mirror. And the mirror points out something that I need to clean up. So I clean myself up and I shave. You're welcome. Um, and then... <laughs> So, and that's good, and that's the use of a mirror. That's what a mirror is for. It's for kind of pointing out your appearance, and sometimes you notice things when you look at yourself in the mirror. You might not look like looking at the mirror. I get that. That's okay. Um, but y'all are beautiful. You should not like that. It's okay. But you know what I'm saying. Um, but the mirror sometimes highlights and reveals things that maybe you can improve. And same thing is... It's the same thing with conviction. Conviction is the Holy Spirit highlighting things that God wants you to improve upon. And as obedient Christians, as wise Christians, we want to be obedient to that. We want to take action when we hear the Lord speak to us, which is what this parable is all about, hearing what the Lord is telling us and taking action and doing them, not just sitting on those words, but taking those words and figuring out how to apply it to our lives. Let's talk about what these foundations are and what they mean. So just as Jesus gives a warning of the storms within the parable, he also gives advice to prepare for it. And the key to withstanding the storm is our foundation. You know, I'm not a builder, but I think this is correct about how things are built. When somebody is getting ready to build a house or a building or structure something, what do they do? They, they survey the area, you know, they, they make assessments to see if it's a safe and a nice spot to build on. Um, then they level the area, that's the grading process to make sure to prepare the area before they get to an important step and that is pouring the foundation. They lay the foundation because on that foundation is what the entire structure will be built upon. So, that's a crucial part of the building process because if they end up laying down an unreliable foundation or uh, they pour on a bad foundation, it could compromise the entire build. And I, I remember seeing a video, maybe you've seen it, um, but it's a remarkable video of these, these old, like, they're not that old actually. They're these condo buildings, about 15 condo buildings in China that were um, unfinished, but they're each about, they're more than like 10 stories tall. So they're like towers, right? And they were unfinished. I think the development process was rushed. And um, they might have been skipping steps or whatever. And they just sat vacant um, for a couple years and started to deteriorate. And they were finally deemed, all right, these are unredeemable. These are unlivable. This is unsafe. It's not going to be finished, so they demolished them all. And the video is pretty cool because, like, you see 15 buildings just getting demolished simultaneously and falling on top of each other. It's like something out of a movie, but it's real life. It's cool. Um, but anyway, I remember, I remember thinking when I was watching, I was like, like, 
who could mess this up this bad, right? Like how, like a mess up this big, how can that happen? What a waste. What an absolute waste, right? Um, the person in charge of this must have not been walking in wisdom and following the right steps, right? The person in charge of this project must have been a fool, right? Like I, I don't know any other way to think about it, but it's a pretty remarkable video if you can find it. But just as you shouldn't neglect the importance of the process for building a structure or a house, we should not and we cannot neglect how important it is for us to establish a proper foundation for our faith. So the rock and the sand depict two very different foundations on which people attempt to build their faith upon. See, the people who fall into the category of building on the sand are often those whose Christianity is largely social. The majority of their faith is superficial. They don't allow their lives to be truly changed by Christ or through the teaching of Scripture. Just to kind of put a label on it. Um, and if you want a real-world example of what it looks like to have your foundation built on the sand, look at those who claim to be Christians but also deny Scriptures and deny the deity of Christ. At that point, their faith is nothing more than a social one. To me, this this um, speaks of Christians who, um, or I'd say people, people who uh, might participate in Christian activities like church, like worship, like Bible study. They come out to these things. They're, they're right there for the fellowship. They're, they're, they're visibly um, a brother or sister in the Lord, right? But the difference is what their foundation is built upon is something else other than Christ, right? Other than something that's firm, that's lasting, um, and to them, their faith is superficial. It's just what you see is what you get at the surface. Um, and it could be majorly social to them as well, just something that they can do um, to occupy their time, right? What do we know about rock and sand? Well, rock is hard. It's firm, you know. It's, it's, it's sturdy. Sand is, is soft and, and changing and easily, um, easily movable. It's shifting, Right? Uh, we were at our, we did just did our youth camp this, this past week. Uh, we went up to, uh, we took 46 students up to Camp Kakua and Hope, and it was such a fun time. And what we did was, just for fun, we um, divided the students up into three teams. So each team had about 15 students on it. And throughout the week, we participated in a bunch of different games where each team could earn points, and then the team with the most point won. So shout out to Team Black, good job. Um, and one of, the, one of the games we played was like a, like a Survivor game. Anyone watch the show Survivor in here? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. New season? Yeah. New season, September 22nd. It's going to be good, yeah. Um, but we played a Survivor game where one of the, you know, some of these challenges that they do on that show are pretty crazy, like obstacle courses, uh, swimming challenges where you have to swim out into the ocean and retrieve something. You got to dig around in the beach to dig up a bag or whatever, um, obstacle courses, I already said that, right? Uh, anyway, puzzles, so there's like a lot of stuff. We did something like that, like a, like a relay thing with, a, with the teams, and one of the stations was they had to go to the volleyball court and dig up uh, a tennis ball with their team's name on it, and let me tell you, it did not take long to basically turn up this whole court, this whole volleyball court. There's 40 students out there just digging, digging deep with their hands, not even using tools, and trying to find these tennis balls. And it goes to show sand is not always the most reliable 
um, foundation to build upon. Now, in modern terms, like, yeah, you do use sand for per certain parts of the building process, but sand isn't reliable in and of itself because it's a shifting foundation. And that's the issue with that. For Christians or, or people who try to build their faith on the sand, it is disastrous when storms come because they don't have anything firm to grab hold of. But the Christian who wisely builds upon the firm foundation of the rock will be steady in the storm. So what does Christ mean when he speaks of this rock? Well, um, Jesus is telling us specifically that our foundation is found um, and built upon hearing the word and applying it. That's according to this parable. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's, that's how we build our foundation. That's, that's where it comes from, is hearing the sayings of Christ, hearing the, hearing the word of God, and then applying them and doing them. That's our foundation. Now, in a lot of places in Scripture, um, Jesus himself is known as the rock, right? Uh, we know in multiple places in the gospel and also in 1 Peter, he's, he's, he's called the, the chief cornerstone, right? I'm sure we've all heard that. That's definitely true. He is the rock. Also in 1 Corinthians 10.4, this is what it says. It says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, in context, the foundation that we're talking about in this parable is hearing and um, doing. That's obedience, right? But I, I don't want to say it's wrong to say that Jesus is the rock as well, because he is, right? Jesus should be our rock, and he should be our foundation, and he should be what we build upon. As, I mean, whose sayings are we listening to? Whose teachings are we hearing um, and applying to our lives? It is the teachings and the hearings of Christ, right? He is our Savior. He is our teacher, and we want to be made like him. So... When we are careful to build our faith on the foundation of these things, of, on Christ, we are unshaken and immovable. The house on the rock pictures a life founded on a proper relationship with Christ. And obedience to Christ grows our foundation. We build our faith upon this foundation by making Jesus a priority over every aspect of our lives. Isn't that Amazing that when we as Christians, we, we, we make Christ a priority over every aspect of our lives and we live day to day for him and we continue to press into him in our faith and our relationships to him, that foundation grows and it becomes stronger and it becomes more sturdy and more founded. That's what we should want. That's what we should desire. And it does take work and effort, but it's worth it. Um, I mentioned it earlier, but looking at these two houses, um, when you look at them side by side, assuming we don't know much about the ground that they were built on, Jesus doesn't allude to a difference in appearance between the two. He doesn't really speak on that. He doesn't include that in the parable. Um, as far as we know, there was no outward difference in appearance between the two, and it's possible that these houses looked identical to one another. So in other words... You might not know which Christian has built their faith upon the solid rock and which one has built their faith on the faulty sand. You might not know. Based off appearances alone, it may not be revealing enough. 
and the Pharisees are a good example of this, people would probably look at these religious leaders in their day and maybe even admire their spiritual knowledge and, and, and wisdom of the scriptures and what they know, but many Pharisees didn't have a proper foundation. You might not be able to tell by outward appearances alone. You might, you might say, oh, my friend, my friend can quote the Bible like backwards, inside and out. He knows so much scripture. Great, that's awesome, but does he have a true, lasting relationship with Christ? He might know the Bible, he might study it, but is he truly walking with the Lord? Does he have his foundation set? doesn't tell me anything if you know the Bible, but are you actually doing what it says? Does your life look like Christ does? Remember, you might not be able to tell. It might, be, um, might not always be obvious. It might be surprising to you who has their foundation set and who doesn't. The disciple Judas betrayed Jesus in the night. He was with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. And the Pharisee Nicodemus professed Jesus in the day. He was part of this religious elite, right? Sometimes it's surprising. But you know what? It's not always for us to know. It's not really for us to be able to tell and discern that. We should definitely worry about ourselves and leave that up to God because we can't see people's hearts, right? I'm reminded of in 1 Samuel when God tells Samuel that he chose David to be the next king of Israel. This is what he said. He said, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This might be something that we should leave up to God. We can pray for people, pray for people in our lives that maybe we're not sure how their foundation looks, how their foundation is. We can definitely pray for them and do what we can to encourage them, but let's leave that up to God and do what we need to do, worry about ourselves. Oftentimes, it's the storms we face that reveal what the foundation is. You know? It's not the outward appearance. It's, it's when the storm comes. And also, you might think that you have a firm foundation, or you might have like one of the most sturdy foundations, but you might be surprised when a storm comes and kicks you to the dirt. You might still have that foundation, but the storm can still damage it, and you can pick it up and keep going um, and, and learn from it, right? The storms we experience as Christians can come in many forms, through the way of persecution, through suffering, grief, temptations, but when we are established on the solid foundation of Christ, we are prepared to brace the storm. And storms are something that we as Christians should be aware of and somewhat used to. Um, that's something we're promised to go through. Christians are promised to go through hard times. Uh, and it, was, it said, you're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or going into a storm. And I think like one of those three, you can position yourselves between them. Um, I think that's true. So as Christians, we should want to do our part to prepare ourselves for these storms that we're going to experience, that we're promised to go through, so that we can be ready for it and cling to Christ when it comes. So how can we really do this? How can we really set ourselves up and really build this foundation? Well, I, I wanted to bring up the way that Luke records this parable in his gospel, um, and some of the wording he uses, he says in Luke 6, 48, he is like a man, speaking of the wise builder, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And I specifically wanted to highlight 
that phrase, dug deep. He is like a man who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. What that tells me is building on a proper foundation will often require extra work for the builder. And it may seem like an inconvenience in the moment, but it's so worth the effort. You'll withstand the storm. Human nature often chooses what looks easy on the surface, but after experiencing the seasonal floods, the testing of trials, a builder will have nothing left but a heap of ruins. And that's the fault of the, the foolish builder who built on the sand. You know, the sand might have looked level and a very convenient place to put a house, but what's below was shifty and unreliable. Um, so a couple questions just to close this parable and, and leave us thinking about. What do we do when we're convicted? What do you do when you're convicted? Do you, do you walk away and forget about it? Like the man who walked away from the mirror and forget what kind of man he was, forget what he looked like? Or do you take those convictions to heart, go before the Lord and ask for his guidance on how to apply them to your lives? Is your foundation on Christ are you prepared to cling to him when you experience a trying time or a storm? Also, are you demonstrating what it looks like to walk in obedience of Christ? Because living our life on display can put it in perspective just how crucial a proper foundation is for our faith. Our church family, our relatives, our children, if we want to impact the people around us into a deeper, unshakable relationship with Christ, let us first be an example of how that looks. This parable is firstly for you. It's a personal thing that you need to take to heart and be, yeah, no, I, I do want to make sure my foundation is set. I do want to make sure that I'm not just being a hearer of the word, but a doer also. And I think going off of that as well, we do have people around us that we should care about. We should want to see them succeed and want them to um, to be obedient and have that rich relationship with Christ as well. Um, but firstly, we need to take ourselves into account. We need to make sure that we are in right standing. Uh, do what we can to grow ourselves before trying to reach out to others. Parents, I think it's totally good. We should want to desire our children to have a good foundation in the Lord. Spouses, you should want to have your spouse in a good uh, foundation with the Lord. You should encourage them to do so as well. Same thing with your church family, your relatives, your friends, your coworkers. That's something that we should desire. But go to the Lord for it and pray for him to lead you and guide you and give you discernment how to navigate that. But first, worry about yourself and make sure you have the foundation set in your own faith. And here's a major point from this parable Take every day as an opportunity to hear from God. Whether you hear through the word, through prayer, through a sermon, a conversation with someone, or whatever it may be, take every opportunity to hear from God. And when you do hear, you should do what he's telling you to do. And the result of continually doing this as Christians, continuing it day by day, is a deeper an established relationship with our Savior, Jesus. This isn't only a result, but it's a great reward. 
It's a remarkable display of wisdom when we do this, to not just hear him, but to do what he says. That's something that we're called to do. That's, that's, that's a work of the wise. And if we desire to be Christians obedient to the Lord and walking in wisdom, it'd be good for us to, to do that, to pursue him, to, to take every opportunity to hear from him and then apply it to our lives. I'm going to call the worship team up and we're going to close in a song. Um, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this word, Lord, and I uh, thank you for this parable, the parable of the builders, and just the truth that it has for us as Christians, Lord, to make sure that we are established in our faith. Um, it's a good reminder and a good check for, for us to assess ourselves and to see what can I work on in my own faith? How can I um, be more serious as a follower of you, Jesus? Lord, I pray for everybody in this room. I pray that we would be taking those steps to um, affirming our foundation is in you, Jesus, and that we are taking the things that you are telling us and teaching us and applying it to our lives, Lord. And I pray for anybody in this room who might be uh, ignoring your convictions, God, um, ignoring the things that you have clearly laid out and, and explained and told us in, in your word, God. Um, I pray that, that that ignorance would be revealed and conviction would come in and that we would address that, God, and that as a result it would truly bring us into a deeper and intimate relationship with you, Lord. So I pray as we go from here today, I pray that you would bless us and continue to lead us and guide us in our walks with you, Lord. Amen. Amen.